Monday edition of PFTPM, first of 2022. Shereen Williams, Happy New Year. And I only say that because this is the first time that we've interacted in this setting in the new year. I'm not quite sure what the statute of limitations is. I know there are some people out there that get very prickly about hearing Happy New Year, even after January 1. I I don't know what the cutoff is. I really don't care. But I assume that you are sufficiently good-natured, that you will take well wishes wherever and however you get them. Yeah, happy 2022, Mike. And it's funny because we're big black-eyed pea eaters on New Year's Day, right, for good luck. And I read somewhere where someone said you should try crack this year because the black-eyed peas haven't worked the last two years. And and there is some truth to that. But I I still had my black-eyed peas on uh, New Year's Day. Did you have crack, too? I didn't have crack. I tried the black-eyed peas. I'm going for third time's a charm. You know, if this would have been a fill-in-the-blank, and you would have told me ahead of time that Shireen is going to say we eat black-eyed peas (laughs) for good luck, and after the last two years, this year we were suggested to try blank, I would have gone many, 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 many choices before I got down to crack. Sims? Sims, cracks the top two. You, it's not even in the top 2,000. We'd have been here a long time, as I was guessing. Uh, even with you're getting warmer, you're getting colder, even that, I, it would have taken me a long time to land on, on crack. Um, okay, uh, I, I, can go, I can go a lot of ways with that, but let's just adopt a more serious facade. And seriously, there, there's a story in the NFL right now the number one is the biggest story. And, and we know that these things are temporary and transitory, and there will always be some other big story that comes around inevitably. But for now, what happened yesterday with Antonio Brown, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we'd never seen anything like it before. We may never see anything like it again. But it was memorable, and it was stunning. And just like with the fake vaccination card that came to light, two months ago, if points bet had set odds on the player most likely to remove his shoulder pads and jersey, T-shirt, gloves, and start to undo the string on his game pants before running off the field, Antonio Brown would have been like minus 750 as the favorite. And it's unfortunate that it happened. And it's a difficult one to unpack because there's still a vacuum of information. We still don't know what was said. We have Bruce Arians' version. We don't have Antonio Brown's version. We don't know if, you know, the the, the knee-jerk reaction is he needs help. We hope he gets help. Well, maybe it was a justifiable reaction to the circumstances. We just don't know. All we know is what we saw. We don't know what went on on that sideline before Antonio Brown did what he did. And I'm not saying that this is some sort of a mystery that requires a lot of time and effort. But it is a situation that I think is going to continue to be talked about, Shireen, until we at least can come to some understanding of what exactly happened. And to get there, we've got to hear from Antonio Brown. Well, as you said, Mike, it's just something that we had never seen before. I mean, very few players in the history of the NFL have quit on their 
on their teams midstream in the middle of a game. I mean, we've seen it happen before. This isn't the first time we, we've seen a player quit on a team in the middle of a game or after a game or whatever the case may be. But to do it in that fashion, it certainly was the first time we've ever seen it. And I was in the Cowboys press box getting ready for the, the obviously watching the early games, but getting ready for the 425 Cowboys Cardinals game. And we didn't have that game on our eight TVs or whatever it was. It's the only game that wasn't on because it was the Jets. And all of a sudden, there's a buzz in the press box. And I saw the tweet come over from, I think it was Josh Alpert, that this had happened. And all of a sudden, people are like, why? Why does this happen? And that's going to continue to be the question. Why did he go off like this? And we know we've seen odd behavior out of Antonio Brown before. This isn't the first time. But to do it in the middle of the game in the way that he did it, it's something that we've never seen before and certainly didn't expect to see yesterday. But you're right. If you're going to pick a player who it would have been, I don't even know who the number two player on points bet would have been. And the terminology that was used by me, by you, by everyone who saw this was Antonio Brown quit on his team in the middle of the game and left the venue. However... It's possible he was fired in the middle of the game and basically decided to leave, right? You come to me and you tell me I'm fired, I'm leaving. Now, I work at home, so not quite quite on all fours with the comparison. But if, if I happen to be working in a workplace, as I once did, and I'm grateful that I'm able to work at home, my wife may feel otherwise. But if you come to me and tell me you're out in the middle of the day, I'm not waiting until five o'clock and punching out and sliding down the brontosaurus and into the car like Fred Flintstone, I'm leaving then. So, you know, if that's what happened, and, and we can begin to piece some of it together from the perspective of Bruce Arians, the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, remember this. And I, I want to set this up so we at least have a basic understanding of where the reports are. The report is, and Arians has admitted some of this, that he wanted Antonio Brown to go back to the game. And Brown refused. And Arians insisted. And Brown persisted. And Arians kicked him off the team and Brown left. I think that's undisputed, or at least that has yet to be disputed by Brown, and the facts would seem to bear it out. The question is this. Whether or not Antonio Brown articulated anyone on that sideline, I can't play because of my ankle, an ankle injury that kept him from practicing on Thursday and Friday of last week. So with that as the background, here's Bruce Arians meeting with reporters earlier today and talking inevitably about what happened yesterday with Antonio Brown. Go because he's injured? I don't know that he was. Did he he say that he was, or was there a dispute about that? No. He just refused to go in, or can you tell us more about it? Not really. I mean, what happened is pretty obvious what happened. So, uh, you know... He left the field, and that was it. See, this is where the former lawyer in me starts to focus and wonder and become curious. I mean, curiosity is the one common link between what I used to do and what I now do. And you have to be curious, and you have to be skeptical. It is obvious what happened after whatever was said on the sideline. We know about that part. We just don't know how it got to that point. And... 
you can't say as a blanket observation you didn't know he was injured because he had an ankle injury. And he did not practice on Thursday and Friday. And he was listed as questionable. And he was a game-time decision, although it was trending in the direction of him playing before game time. This is something that would have been on Bruce Arians' radar. So if a guy's playing with an ankle injury, there's a chance that the ankle injury is going to become aggravated. And look, all the, the armchair trainers out there who think that the fact that Antonio Brown ran off the field and jumped in the end zone, meant that his ankle wasn't bothering. There is a huge difference between what we saw him do as he went from sideline to tunnel and running full speed in an NFL game, cutting, moving, sprinting, digging your cleats into the turf, especially at MetLife Stadium. There's a huge difference. He, he was physically capable of jogging off the field and jumping around in the end zone. That doesn't mean he's physically capable of doing his job to the level that he's used to. So that's where it's confusing Shireen and that's where when I when I listen to Arians and and every head coach is prone to dabbling in some BS from time to time I'm not trying to pick on Bruce Arians I just become very curious and I'd love to start putting people under oath to get to the bottom of this because I got some questions for Bruce Arians and the reality is he's not going to answer many of them if any more than what he did today Oh, I think he's done answering questions about Antonio Brown. The guy is off the team. However, they choose to get him off the team and transactions will be coming out shortly. But whether they cut him today or tomorrow or later this week or put him on reserve retired or conduct detrimental or whatever the case may be, I think that that gives Bruce Arians an out to say he's no longer a part of their team. But you're right. There's a ton of unanswered questions Uh, with what happened and we may never learn exactly what happened at some point I would think Antonio Brown would talk but we'll see how that plays out I'm always curious Mike and I know you do this too of looking in the background and I know Mike Evans and OJ Howard earlier had tried to calm down AB but you see him taking off his shoulder and they're just casually everybody on that sideline that you can see in the shot is just kind of casually watching or almost like rubbernecking, trying not to watch A.B. as he pulls off his shoulder pads and, and starts to run off the field. And you see guys turn around and kind of look. But no one made an attempt at that point to come up to him and really try to stop him from leaving the field. At that point, he was on his own. He, he, was, he was gone, and there was no one on that sideline who was there to go, hey, calm down, let's, let's talk about this, whatever. And maybe it was beyond that point. But I was watching all the people in the background as Antonio Brown started to pull off those shoulder pads and walk off the field. And here's where this develops what I think is best described as a twist on the gaslighting phenomenon that we all became familiar with about five years ago. The idea that that just little by little, bit by bit, piece by piece, someone is convinced that there is something wrong with them, not something wrong with everything going on around them. And how that applies here. We've just kind of been led to believe by circumstances over the years that there's something wrong with Antonio Brown. And there have been occasions where it seems like he needs help. And that got thrown around by Tom Brady yesterday. And I know the organization is concerned about his mental health. But there are times that that can almost be weaponized against a guy because who's really going to believe Antonio Brown's version of the events? Because he he needs help. He's got mental health issues. So the implicit... And this is very insidious if it's going on, but I can't rule anything out at this point. It's very easy to just kind of blame it all on him. It's very easy to just say, oh, this was him. This wasn't us. This wasn't 
Bruce Arians getting pissed off at a guy who couldn't go play because he said his ankle was bothering him. This isn't Bruce Arians just finally reaching his lifetime limit of dealing with Antonio Brown in that moment. And look, we've seen enough of Bruce Arians' personality over the years to at least believe that it's possible that he would have an outburst like that. Basically, get this guy the hell out of here. You're off the team during a game. That's unusual. That's unconventional. And it kind of sounds like that's what happened. Regardless of whether or not Antonio Brown said he couldn't go back in because he was injured. Why wouldn't he want to go back into the game? He had hundreds of thousands of dollars riding on catches, yardage, touchdowns. And we saw he had 15 targets last week from Tom Brady. He's one of the only healthy receivers that Tom Brady is comfortable with. So there's a lot here. And my concern is that whatever issues are going on with Antonio Brown will become a potential blanket for the Buccaneers to hide behind and avoid their role in possibly pushing his buttons either accidentally or maybe deliberately to get him to react the way he did. And it's on him. There's something wrong with him. Nothing wrong with us. Something wrong with him. He's the bad guy. We're not. And, and I'm just very curious. If I could just get two, three people under oath and ask them about 45 minutes worth of questions each, I could get to the bottom of this. Of course, that's never going to happen. But I just, there's enough there. You kind of get your sixth sense that something's not right. And I don't think it's right for us to just do the knee jerk. Antonio Brown needs help. Antonio Brown had some sort of a psychic snap. Antonio Brown is in the wrong. The Bucks didn't do anything to contribute to this or cause this. It's possible there's a lot of blame to go around, and it's possible that the Bucks bear some of it, Shireen. Yeah, there is, Mike. And I think Tom Brady does his radio show tonight, I believe. And if he's doing it tonight, I hope that he's asked many questions about this because he's one of those guys I would like to hear under oath. I would like to hear what the conversation was like because we know their relationship has been, and I assume still was, pretty tight. I mean, he lived at, at Tom Brady's house when he came to town initially. He signed with the Bucks because of Tom Brady. They kept him after the vaccine incident because of Tom Brady. So I want to hear from Tom Brady. I want to hear more out of Tom Brady. Was there something that happened in the first half or at halftime? He got five targets in the first half. Was there something that happened? Was he not getting the ball enough? Was he hurt? What, what was it? Tom Brady has to have some of those answers of what it was. And was Tom Brady... Did he try to calm A.B. down and try to keep A.B. from doing what he did? Those are all questions that I have, too, Mike. What role did Tom Brady play in this in trying to keep him there and keep him calm? Because we know what Tom Brady thinks of A.B. He was the reason that A.B. was on this team. And when we refer to putting guys under oath, look, number one, it's never going to happen. And number two, I understand that People don't always honor the oath, but being under oath yeah. raises the stakes. Being under oath tends to cause this kind of stuff to happen a little bit more and a little some of this, and, and the words are a little less convincing. Remember when Tom Brady was questioned by reporters in the first Deflategate press conference and how thoroughly unconvincing yeah. that was? You get somebody under oath, they're more likely to give you unconvincing answers because they are feeling the kind of stress that would be detected by a polygraph machine. That's why I would like to put people under oath. It's the mere fact of being under oath that may rattle them into being susceptible to accidentally giving you enough that you can convince someone else that they were full of something other than chocolate. So the other 
aspect of Antonio uh, of Tom Brady that I think is very important here. You know, you can't have it both ways. You can't do the post-game press conference where you talk about how much you love him mm. and you care about him and you're worried about him and then turn your back on him. You, you should, yeah. if you're Tom Brady especially, he should be at the front of the line doing whatever needs to be done to make sure that Antonio Brown is okay, that Antonio Brown, if he needs some sort of evaluation or assessment, he gets it because Brady directly benefited from Antonio Brown last year. Super Bowl ring number seven in part comes from the fact that Antonio Brown joined the team. And everything that Tom Brady did when it was in his interest from a football standpoint to keep Antonio Brown out of trouble, to keep Antonio Brown on the right track. And he did a great job of it. He was the only one last year who was able to get through to Antonio Brown and speak to his better angels. I think it would be wrong at this point to just say he's not on the team anymore. I don't think that's good enough because Tom Brady and Antonio Brown were developing a very close relationship before Antonio Brown was on the team. Back when they were doing all those workouts during the pandemic, year one, away from the facility, working out on their own, there was a lot of suspicion and maybe even some reporting, if I recall correctly, and there's a chance I don't, that Antonio Brown and Tom Brady were were throwing and catching passes with each other before Brown actually joined the team. So there's a relationship there that I think it's unfair to Antonio Brown to end it. So I I just I look at it this way. Just because it's entirely possible that Antonio Brown is mostly, if not completely, at fault, just because it's entirely possible he needs help and has some sort of a mental health issue. I think that there are people in that organization that have an obligation to make sure he gets the help. It can't just be enough send him a text, you okay, give him a call. I think that Tom Brady needs to be as involved in helping him now when there's nothing to be gained from it as he was a year, year and a half ago when there was everything to be gained from it. Oh, absolutely, Mike. And I think he will do that. I hope he does that. And I hope he speaks hope to he that does. tonight on, on the radio show. I, I do, too. And, and, and A.B. will listen, at least he did in the past, to Tom Brady. It's the one guy that he would always listen to and that he had the close relationship with. And he needs somebody like that in his life right now. No matter what's going on, he needs that because he no longer has football, at least for the next week. Who knows how that plays out? But he does need Tom Brady, I think, now more than he needed Tom Brady when he was on this team. And I think the next, well, there's two questions that come up after this. But the first one I have is, can the Buccaneers repeat without A.B. and without Chris Godwin? And I don't know. I, I have huge questions about whether they can do it without those two receivers. If they had one of them, I mean, when Chris Godwin went out, we said, well, A.B.'s coming back. And I think it's the reason that A.B. did come back after the vaccine card uh, suspension was because they needed him after what happened to Chris Godwin, gone for the year with the torn ACL. Now they don't have either one of those guys, and I'm not completely confident that this team can go into Green Bay or even win in the first round of the postseason without either one of these guys. Well, Cyril Grayson's been a godsend for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He caught the game-winning touchdown pass yesterday, and he's had a couple of strong weeks. Mike Evans was able to come back and contribute a couple of weeks after the hamstring injury. But you're right, it may be difficult for Brashad Perriman, who was with the Buccaneers and did well in 2019 back this year. You know, what happened to Tyler Johnson? What happened to Scotty Miller? Where are these guys that were key role players last year? That that part of it is is very, very surprising. And Jalen Darden was a guy that they drafted this year 
that, that they felt very good about. But it's these other guys, and Tom Brady has to trust you. He's not going to throw you the football. And he's got trust in guys like Grayson. And we're seeing some of it with Perryman. We definitely know it's there with Evans. We know it's there with Gronk and Cameron Braid and O.J. Howard. You don't really see O.J. Howard a whole lot anymore. I don't, I don't remember his numbers from yesterday. But Gronk is still there, which is good. He had over 100 yards. And Brady had over 400. And Brady had three more touchdowns. He's got back-to-back 40-touchdown seasons. He's only the, the second guy in NFL history to have three seasons of 40 or more touchdown passes. And he, along with Drew Brees, are the only ones to have consecutive 40-touchdown pass years. And Brady has done it at the ages of 43 and 44. Now, as to Brown, oh, one more thing. You mentioned the Let's Go podcast. And I, I, I hope, I, I assume they've probably already taped the thing, but I, I hope that the Jim Gray, did we get a little more of the Pete Rose, Jim Gray, and a little yeah. less of the LeBron James, Jim Gray in this? I mean, Jim, Jim yeah. Gray has had an evolution, not for the good, all due respect, in the last 20, 30 years. But, and, and look, he's business partners with Tom Brady in this podcast. He's only going to push him so far. But this would be a time for some, and this is, this is what irritates me right now. You have these guys who have their safe spaces, whether it's Aaron Rodgers with Pat McAfee and A.J. Hawk or Tom Brady with Jim Gray. Oh, yeah, I got plenty to say to the media. Yeah, as long as the person who's asking me the questions isn't going to ask me questions I'd rather not answer. Tonight's a night for Tom Brady to be asked questions he'd rather not answer, and we ain't going to get I, I would I would wager many black-eyed peas and a little crack that we're not going to get. <laughs> you know, and if somebody's just tuning in, they're wondering what the hell I'm talking about. Well, that's what you get for being late. But I would wager a lot of things of value that he's not going to get tough questions tonight. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Mike. And those questions probably are formatted and he knows what they are ahead of time and approves them. I mean, that's kind of the way it is when they have these uh, off-campus radio shows and other things that they do, podcast. And so... I do hope that he's at least asked some questions about if has he had contact with AB since he walked out and what will their relationship be go- going forward and what happened before AB had his meltdown and, and left the field. So I, all those are relevant questions. They aren't hard questions for Tom Brady to answer. So I hope that he does answer some of those questions and fills in some of these blanks. Hey, the point you made earlier, back before he signed with the Buccaneers, he was actually living with Tom Brady. Brady was making sure he yep. stayed on the straight and narrow, right? Bring him back in at this very fragile time in his football life as he recovers from what happened yesterday. Wouldn't that be a time to have him around all the time and make sure yeah. he's okay? Uh, again, it's, it's, it's one thing to do it when you have something personally to gain. It's another thing to do it when you have nothing to gain and you're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And, and I'm trying to be sensitive to Antonio Brown and all this. Look, I'm not an Antonio Brown fan. I, I, I think that, that a lot of times what gets regarded as, you know, maybe he needs help is he's just a jerk. And how do you draw the line? And where is the distinction between a guy who just doesn't have a very agreeable personality and a guy who needs some sort of assistance? But I think that if... That he, that he has the same rights of every other NFL player. And they shouldn't manipulate him to suit their own ends by trying to paint him as somebody who had some sort of a, of a break if they pushed his buttons to make it happen. And it wouldn't surprise me if the, the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth here was that somebody pushed his buttons deliberately yesterday to contribute to him doing what he ultimately did. So, so we, we've been checking the transactions here. Let me just do one more check to see if they've come through. None of the PFT writers are telling us that Antonio Brown was officially waived today. They could 
just suspend him without pay for conduct detrimental to the team. They could do that and keep him from landing with someone else. They made it clear yesterday he's not going to be part of the team. If and when they do waive him, and he does pass through waivers, and he could be claimed. This is the OBJ thing all over again. Somebody could claim his contract. If he goes unclaimed, then he could be signed as a free agent. And I, I, yeah, I, I know there are so many people who are like, oh, it's, it's done, it's over. It, come on. He's come back from far worse than what he did yesterday, especially as we learn more about it. And teams want to win, and talent rules the day. And I look at the Chiefs. Look no farther than the Chiefs. They've had Josh Gordon on the roster most of the year. He's played in 11 games. He's got five catches for 32 yards. Antonio Brown does that in his sleep. I think the Chiefs in a heartbeat would take Antonio Brown to be the guy that they've been looking for across from Tyreek Hill, just as they're getting ready to go into a playoff stretch where they realize, hey, the Bengals are no joke. The Titans are no joke. The Bills are no joke. The Buccaneers, if we get to the Super Bowl again, are no joke. Maybe we need what Antonio Brown can bring to the table, and maybe we can keep him under control. And if we can't, we'll just get rid of him, plain and simple. I wouldn't be surprised at all, Shireen, if the Chiefs are the first team who become officially linked to Antonio Brown. Well, and it's a short-term commitment to Antonio Brown, too. I also thought, obviously, the Chiefs come to mind first just because they have a history of taking on players with trouble pass. And you mentioned Josh Gordon, and he hasn't been that number two receiver uh, that they've needed and wanted. And I also thought of the Saints, who haven't had Michael Thomas all year. I thought, well, if they're going to make a playoff run they need another receiver and he might be the guy again a short-term commitment if it doesn't work out you get rid of him right away so that that's another team that came to mind for me right away and I do have a question for you Mike concerning the contract and as it concerns to waivers he was really close to getting three 300 and, well at least two of two of the three three hundred thirty three thousand three hundred thirty three dollar bonuses for catches and yards. Now, did those reset, or will he, if a team picks up that contract, does he just pick up where he left off? Picks up where he left off with the stats that are generated this year, but the only game where he would have a chance to get to those numbers would be week would be 18. This one. It wouldn't matter right. in the postseason. And, and maybe, maybe the team that signs him could choose to rework things and say, we'll pay you what you would have earned based upon performance in the postseason Adam Schefter tweeted just a little bit ago that the Buccaneers did not officially release Antonio Brown on today's wire there are ongoing discussions with the NFL about how to move forward in this situation that tells me they're thinking about finding a way to have their cake and eat it too and that would be wrong that would be wrong if you're done with the guy be done with him let him go somewhere else don't try to do this half measure where he's not on your team but he's not able to play for anyone else either. And I know that as of last night, all they knew is he's not playing for us anymore. But if they do the Terrell Owens thing where they suspend him for four games for conduct detrimental to the team and essentially end his 2021 season, I think that would be unfair to him. Uh, Because if you're done with him, let him go somewhere else. But I can understand why the Buccaneers want to do it. Because you know what? Maybe when it all hit the fan yesterday, the only thing Tom Brady had to say is, I better not see that guy playing for somebody else that we face between now and Super Bowl 56, Shireen. Well, and I mentioned the Saints, Mike. What if he shows up on the Saints, a team that has dominated Tom Brady in the past but couldn't beat the Buccaneers in the postseason? What if he showed up on the Saints and played against the Bucs in the postseason? Wouldn't that be something? 
Well, first the Saints have to make it there, and that would be a reason for the Saints to claim him on waivers. See, and, and, and they were the team that brought him in. Remember a couple of years ago when yeah. he was in that weird sort of limbo? The NFL wouldn't tell teams whether or not he was going to be put on the commissioner exempt list after he was released by the Patriots. So he essentially served a 12- to 14-game unpaid suspension in 2019. The Saints brought him in at one point, but I also think that the way he conducted himself when he visited the Saints – didn't yeah. rub folks there the right way. So maybe the Saints wouldn't do it. But there's also that angle. It's the Deion Sanders angle from way back in 2002 when the Washington football team waived him from the reserve retired list so that he could go join the Raiders. Yeah. Well, he had to pass through waivers. Multiple teams made waivers claims, including the Chargers, who were coached by Marty Schottenheimer, the guy who was coaching Washington the year before when Deion Sanders said, I'm not playing for this guy. Schottenheimer made the waivers claim to keep him from going to the Raiders. So all it takes is even even a team that's not in the hunt could claim him now, and he's done. That's it. That that pulls the plug on his opportunity to go uh, anywhere he wants to go and try to pursue a Super Bowl. So whether it was the Steelers who do it out of spite, the Raiders who would do it out of spite, there's a long list of teams that may make a spite waivers <laughs> yeah. claim of Antonio Brown. Yeah, there's no doubt, Mike, that there is some of that. And we, we ventured into the would the Giants claim Odell Beckham when that happened, and obviously it didn't happen. So those things do happen in the NFL, and it could happen if they wave him this week. We'll be interesting at what point they make this decision and make this move. They are going to make a move. We just don't know what that move is right now. Yeah, and we'll find out. And really, I don't like it if they're going to squat on him for strategic reasons because they don't want him to play for someone else. Uh, but you know what? They may have the right to try to do that under the collective bargaining agreement, and they could slow everything down to the point where by the time it gets resolved, it's too late for anyone yeah. to bring him on board and, and have him be a contributor for the postseason. Let's go ahead and take a break. Week 17, almost in the books, but for the Monday night game. We'll take a look back on Sunday's games with some questionable coaching decisions in Monday afternoon QB. We'll be right back with PFTPM. Hey, no one gave you anything. You went and... Yes, sir. You went and took it. You won the division, the best division in the world. You guys went and won it. You're in the playoffs. There's a whole lot more to play for. Hey, everyone's getting the game ball today. Jack Taylor, who a year ago... The Monday after Week 17, which, of course, was the last Sunday of the season before they added the extra game, the Bengals, amid rampant rumors that Zach Taylor was going to be fired after two seasons as the coach, they actually issued a statement, and I can't think of another time this was done. They issued a statement saying he's not being fired. And uh, obviously he wasn't fired, and now he's the head coach of the worst-to-first Cincinnati Bengals. The team that someone said back in August had no chance of making it to the playoffs. If only I could remember who that was. Uh, I'm having a little, I'm having a little trouble recalling that. I said that you got lucky, Shireen. We did a draft. And it was so stupid. PFT Live draft. The team with no chance to make it to the playoffs. Shireen picked the Panthers. 
I, and we did three each. I mean, that was kind of a gutsy and kind of a stupid move. One of my picks was the Bengals. One of yours was the Panthers. You had to sweat out Carolina until they fell apart. I've had to sweat out Cincinnati all year. And they've been on this weird thing where they win to, lose to, win to, lose to, win yeah. to, lose to. So after every couple of games, I start thinking, hey, yeah, maybe they won't make the playoffs. And then they get on a winning streak, and now they've won three in a row, and obviously they're in. But along the way, Shireen, what happened yesterday, very exciting ending to the game in Cincinnati. They had the ball fourth and one with uh, under 58 seconds left, and uh, they, you know, they, they had the play that was nullified by offsetting penalties, and then they went for it again, and they, they got lucky. And as MDS pointed out on Twitter, this is one of those reasons why you go for it yeah. on fourth and short. Now, here's the offsetting fouls that resulted in one more opportunity, and then they did it again. You, 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 if you throw the ball, you're, hey, you're maybe going to get lucky, and maybe there's going to be a flag thrown on the defense, and there's the yellow laundry, and there's the call, and you get your automatic first down. And at that point, it's game over. So, look, I think Zach Taylor did the right thing there just because – you're either getting a touchdown or you're putting Patrick Mahomes on his one-yard line with under a minute to play. You're not kicking the field goal and giving him the ball back with 46 seconds. I'm not doing that with Patrick Mahomes. I'm not doing that with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know how many other quarterbacks I'm not doing that with. Maybe Tom Brady, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it with Patrick Mahomes. No way, no how. I think Zach Taylor absolutely made the right call. If it had been any of the teams other than the Packers and Bucks and Chiefs, then I would have said, take the field goal and don't go for it on fourth down. But that's part of what you have to factor into your decision-making process. Yeah, and when it works out, coaches are genius, and we should obviously have Zach Taylor in the Coach of the Year conversation with, with what he's been able to do with the team that doesn't have that history that some of these other teams do. It worked out, so it looks like a great decision, obviously, with what happened. I will say this, if... It, Joe Burrow is not right because of that knee injury. There are going to be questions about why they didn't kick the field goal in that situation because it was on that play with 50 seconds left that he got banged to the ground and immediately grabs his knee, limps off the field, and Brandon Allen has to come in for the last two play. And I, and I know they've downplayed it. I get all that, and maybe he's just fine. Maybe it's not going to be a factor. But if it is, we're going to go back and we're going to review this a week from now or two weeks from now and go, why in the world didn't they kick the field goal and it prevent Joe Burrow from taking that last hit? But it worked out for, for the Bengals. I understand why they did it, even with Patrick Mahomes only passing for 259 yards in that game. You're right. You do not want to give Patrick Mahomes the ball back, trailing by three with 50 seconds left or whatever it is, and a chance to go tie or win the game. I, I don't want to do that. And, and it, so it worked out for the Bengals, and Zach Taylor deserves to be in the Coach of the Year conversation because of that decision and others that he's made this year. You see the knee get twisted as Joe Burrow goes to the ground. He said it's good enough after the game. He said he could have come back. He actually said he first injured the knee four weeks ago against the Chargers, and I suspect right. the injury reports from the Bengals probably don't contain many breadcrumbs to that effect. But uh, he was dancing in the locker room after the game, although I'm not quite sure what I saw would count as dancing. He was moving around on that knee, and he had a cigar, <laughs> yeah. and he seemed to be okay. So we'll see what happens this weekend 
against the Cleveland Browns. That's a team that beat the Bengals handily several weeks ago, and the Browns may still be. Are the Browns done? Are they, are they done? It's over for them. Yes, they're done. They're out. The Browns are done. Oh, the Browns is the Browns after all. Um, so, uh, hey, the Browns may just be looking to, to you know, uh, one last game, one last punch in the gut for the Bengals and send them into the postseason on a sour note. So either way, we'll see if Burrow is able to play this weekend. But I, I just I, I want to go back two weeks ago to the Ravens-Packers game when the Ravens went for yeah. two. And one of my – one of my critiques of the decision to go for two was if you put Aaron Rodgers down by a point with it was something like 45 seconds left to play, something like that, um, you give him an urgency to get in position for the game-winning field goal. If you give him the ball back and it's tied, maybe he won't take the same risks. Yeah. They won't go for it on fourth down, for example. They'll play for overtime. But that's a huge factor. Who you're giving the ball back to – has to be considered, and that's why it was absolutely right for Zach Taylor to do what he did. Other quarterbacks, I'd say, why the hell are you doing it? Patrick Mahomes, I know why he did it. All right, the Cowboys uh, offense, the Cowboys defense, well, it's mainly the offense that's so inconsistent. Shereen, you were at the game. We thought they were figuring it out with what they did to Washington last Sunday night. What did you see from the Cowboys offense yesterday uh, in comparison to that great performance that we saw just eight days ago? Well, and I went to both locker rooms yesterday, and Buda Baker talked a lot about the disguising of the coverages to Dak, and he said you, you have to do that with him, and you have to confuse him a bit, and that's what they thought they were able to do. Thought Tyron Smith had a horrible game in his first game back against Chandler Jones. He just didn't block him very well. That was a factor. They couldn't run the ball. Dak Prescott was the team's leading rusher. All of those things added up to, to a loss. And frankly, if this defense doesn't force turnovers, they had the three consecutive games when they forced four turnovers. If they don't force those turnovers, then this offense, to me, really struggles. And you start thinking about the Cowboys, and they were asked a lot about this after the game, about their signature win this year. Who have they beaten that makes you think that they can go in the postseason and win three playoff games to get to the Super Bowl? Chargers, the Patriots, maybe. Those teams didn't even win their divisions, though. There's really not that signature victory that this team has where you just go, yeah, I'm completely confident they can go in round one, and, hey, they're probably going to play the Cardinals again, and Connor Murray's 9-0 and at AT&T Stadium. I would not like to be in their shoes right now. Yeah, I, I'm not sure they can win one playoff game if Kyler Murray comes back. Exactly. And I wonder at what point Jerry Jones is going to begin coveting thy neighbor's quarterback and start uh, trying to plot a path to get Kyler Murray to Dallas. I mean, that's a hell of a record <laughs> at AT&T Stadium. At some point, at some point, uh, you got you got to wonder when Jerry and Steven are going to have a little sit down and, uh, you know, a little Johnny Walker blue and come up with some sort of a plan <laughs> to get Kyler Murray in the silver helmet with the blue star. Tell me what happened with the, yeah. the fact that the Cowboys didn't have a timeout and therefore couldn't challenge an obvious officiating error before the two minute warning where the Cardinals had fumbled, the Cowboys had recovered, but there was nothing anybody could do about it. Uh, because there wasn't a red flag to be thrown because there wasn't a timeout to back it up. Yeah, you go back to 404, Mike, left in the third quarter, and Arizona had a fourth and five on the Dallas eight. And so what they did, 
It was brilliant. They sent their kicker out onto the field, Matt Prater. He's lined up on the far right there. But when the Cowboys saw that the kicker was coming out of the field, you know, you have to have time to match the substitutions. Well, they sent players on and off the field, so they had time to match up on them. But the rest of the Cardinals' offense was on the field. They had no intention of going for this. And it's amazing because you look on the side, that's Zach Ertz and A.J. uh, Green and Christian Kirk, who were uncovered on the left side. So they would have had an easy touchdown if they'd actually snapped the ball, probably. Cowboys quickly called timeout, and that timeout turned out to be just a huge event in this game when the Cowboys used their third and final timeout right before the play where Chase Edmonds fumbled and they couldn't challenge it. Otherwise, Dallas would have had the ball at their own 29, down three. Again, Dak Prescott with the ball. You don't want to give him the ball down three, own 29 with two minutes left in the game. So Cardinals ended up winning that game. Officiating era and a great play call. Cliff Kingsbury credited their special teams coach, Jeff Rogers, for, for calling that when they practiced it all week and they were ready, ready for that when they needed it. So they did it simply to force the Cowboys to burn a timeout. That's yes. why they did it. They were never going to call that play. the reason they did it. Yeah. Correct. And when you do it, I mean, that, that's some next-level thinking. The last thing that you're ever going to, to expect is that you're going to force them to burn a timeout, and then they're not going to have any timeouts if and when there's an officiating error that hurts them with more than two minutes to play, and they can't challenge. So an impressive outcome for the Cardinals if they were thinking that many steps ahead on the chessboard. The Vikings not thinking many steps ahead because there may be some big changes after this season. Should they have put Kellen Mond in the game for more than one series? Almost felt like Mike Zimmer put him out there for one series just to shut up whoever was insisting on seeing him. And then he pulls him out of the game. And after the game, he was asked, do you want to see Kellen Mond play this weekend against the Bears? And he said, no, because I see enough of him every day. That, that's not a, a, a ringing endorsement of Kellen Mond, the third-round quarterback that they took when Davis Mills was still on the board. And the Texans were actually going to take Kellen Mond. Well, it tells you a couple of things, Mike. To me, it was as much a direct shot as the front office as it was at Kellen Mond. And, and you know, I, I know Mond a little bit. I know his family. And, and it was unfortunate for him, I think, that Mike Zimmer took this shot at him. I know he hasn't looked great in practice. I get all that. And there's a reason he wasn't starting because guess what? Sean Mannion was hurt all week. He didn't even pra- I mean, he had COVID. So he wasn't even there to practice. So that already told you what the Vikings thought of Kalamon to not start him in this game. But the bottom line is, to me, that was a shot at the front office of him saying, hey, I didn't want this guy anyway. Why would you even draft him? He's not good enough to come in here and play and help us. I think you're going to lose that one if you're Mike Zimmer. I really do. Rick Spielman has been there a lot yeah. longer than Zimmer. And I don't think the, the scenarios in Minnesota, if we're ranking the possibilities, I don't think Zimmer staying and Rick Spielman going – is a realistic outcome. No. Now, maybe Zimmer just wants to blow it all up and he's going to take everyone down with him on the way out the door. And maybe it is possible that the Wolf family fires everybody. But I think the most likely outcome at this point is that Zimmer's gone after next week's game. I'm a little surprised they didn't fire him today to get a one-week head start on interviewing assistant coaches from other teams. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Some true and false coming out of the 17th week of the 2021 season on this third day of 2022. We'll be back with that right after this.
All right, a little true or false as we reflect on Week 17 and prepare for Week 18 and the postseason. How about this? The Chiefs should be very concerned after blowing a 28-14 to lead in Cincinnati. True or false, Shireen? I'm going to go with true, Mike. This has just been a team that can't seem to get it together. I thought they had it together, and they looked great in the first half, and they come out, and they were outgained 267-122 to 122 in the second half. Of course, Jamar Chase, the receiver, had more yards than Patrick Mahomes had passing in this game, but they're outscored 17-3 in the second half. This, to me, is a concern for the Chiefs, I think the biggest thing is what we were talking about with AB is they just don't have that reliable second target. And so that's taking big plays away from Tyreek Hill because teams are able to basically take him out of the game. He had 10 targets, but six catches for 40 yards. And you combine that with, with what Jamar Chase did on the field that day, yesterday, and you understand that they've got to figure out a way to get Tyreek Hill more involved. And I think that goes back to who else do you have on that offense to help you out besides Kelsey? Yeah, I think they should be concerned both sides of the ball. The Cincinnati defense figured out how to correct and limit the Kansas City offense in the second half, only three points scored, and the Kansas City defense never properly reacted to what Jamar Chase was doing, and he finished with 11 catches for 266 yards and three touchdowns, and they still need that that guy across from Tyreek Hill, and again, that may be one of the reasons why the Buccaneers did not wave Antonio Brown today true or false speaking of the Buccaneers Tom Brady is not getting enough credit for yesterday's comeback win over the New York Jets I'm going with true 93 yard drive pretty impressive but the three reasons why the AB drama of course it's what Brady does so it's no surprise there and number three it's the Jets so no surprise there right Mike Well, I mean, that's right. And the Jets have beaten the Bengals this year, and they've beaten the Titans, and I thought they were going to get their third impressive pelt on the horse or the wall, as the case may be. But Brady doing Brady things, and he had 400 passing yards. It was his 13th career game with 400 passing yards, tying Dan Marino. He's one behind Peyton Manning, three behind Drew Brees. It's just amazing what this guy is doing at the age of 44. So he's not getting enough credit for it because we just expect it from him. Next up. The 49ers should start Trey Lance over Jimmy Garoppolo in Week 18 if both are healthy, true or false. Well, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be healthy the rest of the way, but I would going to go with true anyway because I think Trey Lance, you, you just got to go with him. You're not going to win a Super Bowl this year. You hope you get to the postseason and win this week, but to me it's a good chance to see if you need to go find another quarterback in the offseason or if Trey Lance is the guy you Trade it up to pick number three overall. Put him in pressure situation this week and see what he can do. Yeah, and it looks like Kyle Shanahan wants Garoppolo back out there. Trey Lance struggled a little bit to start the game, but they finally turned it around and they beat the Texans. They, they have mastered the Rams five wins in a row, and they need to make it six for six if they want to get to the postseason uh, unless the Saints lose to the Falcons on Sunday. Rich Passaccia deserves Coach of the Year consideration if the Raiders make the playoffs. They have a playoff play-in game Sunday night on NBC. Chargers at Raiders. Winner is in, loser is out. Should Passaccia get Coach of the Year consideration if the Raiders get in? 
Well, I'm going to say false, but you know I like him an awful lot, and I think he's done a great job considering everything that this organization's gone through since midseason. It's just been pretty incredible uh, that they're even in this position and have a chance to go to the postseason. I do think he deserves consideration for the job and that he should get an interview. If they go a different direction, that's great, but I do think he's done enough to show he can be a head coach somewhere, whether it's at the college level, which I know he's always coveted, or at the pro level. Mark Davis has not yet begun the search for another coach, even though he has the two-week head start, now one-week head start. They're focused on getting to the postseason and getting the most out of it. And I think he should be considered, Basaccia should be, for not coach of the year, but coach of the Raiders after this year. Uh, coach of the year, I think it goes to Matt LaFleur, if not him, maybe Mike Vrabel or Zach Taylor. There's a lot of viable candidates this year. Basaccia didn't take over until October, and they started – Five and two and three and zero. Oh. So John Gruden is responsible for plenty of those wins. Next, the Giants are not a clown show organization, and that's what Joe Judge insisted yesterday. True or false, Shireen? Well, at this point, I think you'd have to consider it true, right? I mean, with what they've done, 4-12 and record, five-game losing streak, they have no idea who their quarterback is. The fact that you have Mike Glennon as your backup quarterback, to me, speaks volumes uh, to where they, where they are uh, as an organization. So just not headed in the right direction, and it does seem sort of like a clown show to me. If you have to tell the world you're not a clown show, you're a clown show, right? Isn't that the yeah. first sign? Denial? Public denial, we are not a clown show organization. Well, yeah, you are if you have to say it. And I think Joe Judge feels like it's starting to crumble underneath him, that he thought he was safe, and now he's starting to think maybe he isn't. So yesterday he decided to go off on this diatribe about why he's doing such a great job. I think his audience was anyone named Mara who's going to be deciding what to do about this team after this season mercifully ends for the Giants. Last one, real quickly. This time next Monday, there will be at least five head coach openings, true or false. There's already two. So if my math skills are correct, and they rarely are, will we have three at least by next Monday? Oh, we're going to have at least five. Jags, Raiders, Vikings, Bears, Broncos, I think, to me, are going to happen. And then you look at maybe the Seahawks, Giants, Panthers. What are they going to do? I'd say between all those possibilities, we'll at least get three. Now, Vikings and Bears, I think, are the two most likely. After that, it gets a little iffier. You know, maybe Vic Fangio's done enough to get one more year, and the fact that they're possibly, if not likely, selling the team in 2022, give him one more year, let the new owner hire the next coach, and don't get yourself into some long-term contract. Panthers, though, have to be taken seriously. And remember, remember, there's always that one surprise. And and Pete Carroll would not be a surprise. That one's on the radar screen. There's always that one where it's either – a resignation, a retirement, or a firing that we say, wow. And I think maybe last year the surprise was there wasn't a surprise, but but we have come to expect the unexpected when it's time to hire and fire coaches. Let's take a break. We'll get you ready for the Monday night game. Ben Roethlisberger's last game ever at Heinz Field. We'll do that next here on PFTPM. All right, interesting game tonight at Heinz Field. The Browns are eliminated from playoff consideration at 7-8, and eight, even if they win the next two. The Steelers at 7-7-1 seven, seven, and one can win the next two, and they get in if the Colts lose to the Jaguars in Jacksonville on Sunday. By the way, last year the Jaguars beat the Colts to start the season in Jacksonville and then proceeded to lose the rest of their games. So crazier things have happened. 
And the the one curveball here that is fascinating to me, if the Steelers win tonight, if the Steelers win Sunday at Baltimore, and if the Jaguars beat the Colts, the Steelers get in unless the Chargers and Raiders tie. If the Chargers and Raiders tie, they both get in and the Steelers are out. Wouldn't that be something? What a temptation that would be for the Chargers and Raiders to just take knees all night long on Sunday night football and take a tie and uh, both get in. See you next week, maybe, or whenever our paths would cross in the playoffs. That would be awesome. Just run the ball down, fall down at the one, take some knees, the other team runs down. That'd be pretty cool. But you know what? It's the Chargers and Raiders, and I think one team is going to want to try to knock the other team out, even if it means they get knocked out in the process. Big Ben likely not back next year. I've seen some buzz from some Steelers beat writers suggesting that they need him next year. Now, it's no, they should have moved on this year. They need to move on next year. And Mason Rudolph is not the answer. I don't know what their fixation is on him. They need to find a quarterback, and they need to be thinking about trying to go after a guy like Aaron Rodgers. We remember the the, you know, the look that he and Mike Domlin shared. Uh, boy, what a difference that would make. Right, Shereen? I'm throwing it back to a seven-second one. Yes or no? <laughs> yes. That's it. See you tomorrow. Don't do crack. <laughs>